stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Ah, it's good to be back, you guys, and... Wait. Why is everything on fire? Hey, whoa, run, whoa, whoa. Run! Run! <laughs> Okay, we're going to Grid Girls now. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Get the fire brigade! You are the world champion! Right, hello and welcome to episode 84. Three of the Motorsport 101 podcast. See, I almost forgot there. I managed to, I managed to slide it out though. That was that was really nice. <laughs> I'm your friendly neighbour, us, Mr. Andre Harrison, and I'm back, <laughs> back to restore order and bring balance to the force. <sighs> Good to be back, everybody. Good to be back, indeed. And with me, as ever, is Mr. Ryan King. Yep. So glad that my New York Rangers were able to overcome the odds and advance to round two. Eat it, Montreal. <sighs> It took him less than a minute to start mentioning hockey. <laughs> you see what happens, right? I take one week off the show, right? And Beck sets Black Live on fire again. And King and RJ steal the podcast to talk hockey. It's this the is... fastest game on ice. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Shut... You hijacking my show. King, King you traitor. I, I will not tolerate this insubordination. <laughs> you terrible human being. Right, and in the other corner, home of PK Savannah and the Nashville Predators, Mr. RJ O'Connell. <laughs> Good morning. Um, the the sun is up. My skin is clear. My crops are plentiful. Nashville has swept Chicago in the playoffs, and my boy just won his home race for the second time in three years. Everything's great. Everything's good. I, I'm I'm feeling Every- good today. Every everything you can say is coming up Millhouse, as they say. Yes, my 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 feet are wet, but my cuffs are still bone dry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, and I'd just like to say, I'm. I know I took a week off for for various reasons, and um, I took a, I took some time off 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 to Twitters as well. Took like a whole three days off. Actually, no, it was about four days off. Actually, it was Monday to Thursday. I came back. And, um, yeah, a lot of people did reach out. I was like, Dre, where'd you go? <laughs> like, Dre, why'd you disappear? And, um, yeah, basically, I was a little bit too burnt out. I, I openly admit that. And um, I was concentrating on, on the new job. I am now officially a customer experience manager at William Hill. Yeah, so, um... You <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. And a lot of people have been very supportive, so thank you to everybody that's reached out. Thank you to everybody for their well wishes. They do genuinely mean a hell of a lot. Um, it, I, own, I now run a small shop in the corner of Hayestown, which is a delightful experience. For those guys that live in West London that are listening to this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Henry Chapman, you know what I'm talking about, because I know you're a local man for, over in Elinside, so you know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 been a fun it's been a fun little experience for the first couple of weeks. Really young team as well. I'm, like, I'm the second oldest guy on my shop team, and I'm 24 years old, which kind of says it says it all. Really, like, it's, it's an incredibly young team, and yeah, very excited to get going proper and seeing you know basically running shit basically here on in but um thanks everybody for the well wishes and and you know, for the concerns and whatnot and 
it, it does go a long way. I do genuinely mean that. So, um, yeah, I'm back. And we'll be talking about things I may or may not have missed in the last week and a half in a minute. But first, some general housekeeping. Um, faces you can find us. We are on Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on YouTube at YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport 101. Check us out for video highlights of that. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. And our personal Twitters are at Harrison101HD, RJ O'Connell, and Ryan Eric King. That's with two Ks. And if you really, really like us, why not back us on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101 with a whole heaps of goodies, surprises, and extra fun stuff basically so with that further ado let's get into keeping it 101 okay so Let's let's go from the top. I may or may not have missed a lot in the last couple of weeks of of my. So basically, for my keeping in one one this week, I'm going to catch up on all the shit that I didn't get around to doing last week. Um, so yeah, these guys kind of stole my spotlight last week in the style of Dave Batista. It wasn't fun, um, but yeah, my man Sebastian Vettel way, may or may not have won the Bahraini Grand Prix, which was um, nice to say the least. Yeah, was it was. It was it was it was very nice. I I'm not one to complain. Um, <laughs> I was I was I was delirious. <laughs> we won from third. We went around the outside of Hamilton at turn one, and then the that that middle race pace from Seb was so good. It was it was it was it was delightful. It was it was it was a beautiful thing. And um, yeah, we actually won. And uh, Moscow Moscow might have been uttered in a certain work booth that afternoon when I found out that he had won the race. <laughs> Um, so that was delightful. It was, it was actually a pretty good Bahrain Grand Prix from 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 what I saw at work. I, I watched it live at work, and it was a good race. I actually genuinely enjoyed it. Um, a lot of intrigue at the front, a lot of fun battles in the midfield and at the back. And Fernando Alonso is determined to provide the entertainment if he's not going to be competitive. So you know, God bless Fernando Alonso, our Lord and Savior, and all that good stuff. More on him in a minute. Um, Carlos Sainz was um, a bit silly. To say the least on that one with Lance Stroll, whoopsie doodle. But yeah, I actually enjoyed Bahrain. That was that was fun. Fernando Alonso's going to the Indy 500. I still find that kind of surreal. Um, I know, that's right? a thing. I know, right? I just yeah. seen him get his seat fit for the Indianapolis 500. I'm like, this is actually happening. This is yeah. actually happening in 2017. Yeah, like seeing IndyCar's official Twitter, like like we like with Alonso under their usual graphics package, and it's like. This is weird. This is really weird. Like, we're going to be logging in on Facebook to watch a Fernando Alonso press conference during an IndyCar race weekend. It's... I still haven't quite wrapped my entire head around this yet. Um, what I will say, fantastic for everybody. I I, I, I I thought I made it quite clear on Twitter before I deactivated, but just for those that didn't, that didn't see those takes, I love this. I love everything about this. This is fantastic. It's, it's like... I, if it was anybody else but Fernando Alonso, I'd be head over heels right now. But I, I will settle for this. <laughs> but um, McLaren coming back to Indy for the first time in what God for about forty odd years or something like that. That's years, that... and they had a they had a pretty good history mm. when they were involved the last time. They won a few Indy five hundreds as a chassis maker. Uh, this is mm-hmm. potentially big. 
yeah, the potential of them possibly being a works team in future could be could be big. And um, Fernando Alonso coming over and doing that. I mean, it, the only thing I've disliked about it has been some of the media coverage. I think that has been obnoxious in yeah. some cases, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, and I, especially from Channel Four, who I think I think you know, quite frankly, I expected better from them. Like David Coulthard has been. The mother load of bad takes lately, and this was no exception. Oh yeah, saying you that, yeah. Can, yeah, you can drop, you can, uh, you could say you could drop these uh, frigid cold takes uh, right into the fryer to warm them up. <laughs> oh my god. Oh <clears throat> <laughs> uh, Jay. <laughs> AP, AP columnist Jenner Fryer, who usually writes good stuff, also had some pretty. Uh, bad takes from the from the other side of the perspective, and it wasn't even like subjectively bad; it was objectively bad. Yeah, there's like to the point where she's literally making stuff up about how the rules work for the 500, like skipping rookie orientation, which is just wrong on every level. Um, which Michael Andretti had to, would have to later come out and say, "No, no, that's not. He's going to take rookie orientation like everybody else is." Um, yeah, a big thanks to Zoe Hamilton who posted a lot of this stuff along my way when I was um, on hiatus, so to speak. But yeah, I was disappointed that Jennifer Ice takes and the hill she was meant to die on, basically, because she kept defending this like for a good two or three days afterwards, and it was just such a badly written piece. Uh, and dudes, I've I've had I've had some terrible takes on racing and me too in general. Me too. I'm not gonna die on that hill too, bitch. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's like you gotta own it. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's, that was a that was some bad takes, and it was it was bad. And you know, things like Paul the rest he's, he's gonna get dizzy from going left all the time. Hardy har, or David Coulthard like, saying, "Paul, that, you of all people should know better." Like, yeah, exactly. That's one thing. And then David, yeah, Coulthard your, your cousin saying, has run the won the race three times, Paul. Yeah, that's that's just such an obnoxiously bad thing to say. Like, not to mention as well, I mentioned this before, but David Coulthard saying that the 500 is not what it once was. And yeah, because yeah, Monaco is a glistening gem still at this point. <laughs> yeah. Everybody... And what, and what? And it's like, he said that Scottish people didn't take part in the Indy 500. When his man's Dario Franchitti won it, what, three times? Yeah, <laughs> Dario won it three times. Uh, Jim Clark has won it once. Uh, Jackie Stewart took part, should have won it that one time he took part. Yeah, and, just... this, and these takes were all dropping on the day, uh, the anniversary of Jim Clark's passing. You know, I'm sure the 500 <laughs> win meant nothing to his legacy. Ask a Jim Clark fan. Hi, Zoe. Um, I know you're listening. <laughs> Again, like, it's just, just such a bad take from David Coulthard. And again, it's not like he's walked it back either. It's just... No, this no. A, no, it's just, it's just For, forever. So- forever, he'll be known to me as No Time World Champion, David Coulthard. <laughs> like Scotland's own media don't like David Coulthard anymore. That's how that's how bad it's gotten for him lately with the mothering take and now this. Just, it's just, it's not been a good week or two for DC. Um, I will say that. And um, yeah, like I said, though overall, I can't wait. It was genuinely quite cool to see him in the commentary booth. Um, for this past race at Barber's weekend, and he was just sitting there chilling with Lee Diffie, Townsend Bell, and um, Paul Tracy. He'll come, Paul Tracy. That's the one. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Him and Paul Tracy with that, you know, bro handshake. 
the bro handshake that was like that is such a paul tracy move right there i was like yeah that's 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 kind of cool and also the very funny picture of a 12 year old connor daly <laughs> arm, in, arm in arm with fernando alonso for back from his 500 days and then fernando was commenting on it it was like ah that's actually kind of cool uh, <laughs> so yeah so all sorts of cool stuff as oh southampton scored against chelsea nice um <laughs> the game's on in the background by the way I just thought i'd get that one out there so if you want to get a, a time stamp of when we're recording this show now you know <laughs> but um yeah like i said very very cool news great great to hear that that, that was a thing and yeah i'm really excited to see mclaren back at the indy 500 of fernando alonso and uh because who cares about monaco these days really i mean geez um like it's pretty damning when fernando alonso himself said in the nbcsm broadcast that jensen button might not be excited to have his last formula <laughs> one race for mclaren honda at the monaco grand prix in a one-off yeah that's that kind of says it all really doesn't it um yeah Sad face, sad face indeed. But um, nice to see JB back for a round. Though. That's that's going to be nice as well. Because who doesn't love JB? Just <laughs> good to have him back for one round. Um, so yeah, that that was a thing. So I said Sebastian Vettel won. I was a Brands Hatch on Monday as well. Nice. That was that was nice. Yeah, yeah I, I was about this. You got to see some British superbikes. Yes, I did. I got to see round two of the British Superbike Championship at uh, Brands Hatch. The indie layout this time around. They go back for the full thing in july and september for the final round of the championship but um yeah great time great fun a, a massive thanks to adam johnson friend of the show and uh obviously former host here for hooking me up with some free tickets very much appreciated um yeah we went all around the place it's actually like it's actually kind of like quite nice having it quite compressed in in the 80 now you know the turnout wasn't great i'm not gonna lie i don't think it was more than maybe five or six thousand it wasn't a massive turnout by any stretch probably because it was on a monday which didn't exactly help either because you know um people people got work and shit but um yeah it was great fun the views were, were great the bikes i've heard it before they are so loud it is in like tv doesn't do it justice as to just how big these or just how loud these bikes are they they are deafening like you cannot talk over them when a bike comes past you. Not that you'd want to, because they're they're stunning. But um, that was a that was a thing. Shout out to Luke Mossy for winning both races. His very first BSB win and followed up with a double in race two. Um, commiseration to James Ellison, who sadly um, had to miss race two because of a, a bent chassis he sustained in a race one crash at Druids. And uh, I, I have an apology to give out. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story now instead of telling it on Bike Live because it's a bit more funny. But um, if those guys that know Bike Live's history, we have one a good friend of ours on out there on the grid in James Raspoli, who's who's in the Superstock 1000 Cup this year. Um, he's he's an American. He's a fantastic marketer, a proper fans guy. And an incredibly likable chap as well, actually. And yeah, we love him on Bike Live. We've had we've had him twice on the show already. And uh, Johnson, like, we, like we, we've got Johnson to be a fan of his now too. And he was in the Superstock 1000. So he was running in eighth place. And I was trying to point out to Johnson where Raspoli was on the track. And as I pointed out, I was like, look, there he is. Because we were, we were standing at Druids. And I, I was standing there. And I pointed out, I was like, there he is. And next thing you know, Raspoli crashes right in front of my face. <laughs> oh, fuck. I was like, no! <laughs> I literally shouted out, no! Oh, and oh, it was it was so bad. I felt terrible. 
that, that James had gone down right there and then. And I was like, Johnson just said to me, oh, is that him there? The one that's crashed at Druids? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. And so I immediately apologized and I bought a T-shirt with his name on it just to make my, just to atone for my sins. But um, yeah, um, James, if you're listening, we're really sorry. <laughs> we may have inadvertently jinxed you just a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm not. Uh, listen, I effed up, man. Okay, it happens. I've hap- it's happened a lot with me lately. Okay, <laughs> like, it's, it's like I, I jinx riders now too. Apparently, I went full Elizabeth Worth for a second there. That's not. That's not. That's not a good take. Um, oh dear. Yeah. But uh, you, you gotta go full king on it. When you pick a rider, that rider should win. Oh, shut up! <laughs> oh, you boy. smug bastard. <laughs> but um, yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, so James, if you're listening, we're really sorry, mate. Like I said, I bought, I bought you, I bought a shirt. I, I supported the cause and all that. You know, forgive me, forgive me. Um, also, one more funny story was that when we were, I was buying, I was at the merch stands, and to be fair, the shirts and stuff are actually pretty reasonably priced for t-shirts and whatnot. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll pick up a couple of shirts. That's cool. So I go to the Moto GP stands and I pick up a Mark Marquez shirt and it's in an XL. It's a little bit on the tight side, but I can get away with it. I asked the guy at the counter if, if you've got a 2XL. So he's looking around and he goes, Oh, no, sorry, mate. Only got mediums. We have Rossi merch that goes up to 3XL. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, of course you do. <laughs> In the least surprising statement I've ever heard at a race meeting, the Valentino Rossi merch goes up to 3XL. Because of course it does. <laughs> so... Yeah, <laughs> I, like I, I like that the guy at the merch stand had a complete laugh when I said that to him. Because I was like, yeah, he knows he's just full of shit at this point. Like you're suggesting to a Marquez fan to buy Rossi merch. Come on now, <laughs> this can't happen. But um, yeah, great time at Brands Hatch as well. That was really fun. I really, I very much enjoyed that. And um, yeah, yeah, very, very fun time. Highly recommend it. Just don't buy food. But bring, bring your lunch to Brands if you're gonna go to Brands. Bring your lunch because the food is ludicrously expensive, like stupidly expensive. Like, like two- how how expensive are we talking? Given that um, in America, of course, we have like ten dollar beers and seven dollar yeah. hot dogs. Yeah, to be fair, like, and I know the Americans can't talk on this one because concessions at stadiums are a joke in America. But um, you're talking like two pound thirty for a bottle of for a bottle of Coke. Um, which will be about God, three fifty American. Which actually, again, compared to American, it still is actually pretty reasonable. But compared to the UK, it's terrible. Like for example, you could get an Oreo ice cream sandwich for two pounds fifty. When in an Iceland right now, you could buy a six pack for one pound fifty. So that's a nine hundred percent markup, <laughs> which is just insane. So if you're gonna go to Brands Hatch, do yourself a favor, bring, bring a pack lunch. You'll be grateful for it, trust me, because otherwise it's going to burn a hole in your wallet. Like, me and Johnson gorged on Krispy Kreme donuts, though, and that was pretty lit. I can't lie, even though that was... That sounds the best. Yeah, we gorged on corn dogs and Krispy Kreme donuts, and that was like 15 quid. So, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to go through it, I'm going to go all in here. I don't care if I have to burn through a 20 note to do it, but... um, 
yeah, overall, really, really fun time. Highly recommend it if you haven't already. I think Blancpain GT is coming over there pretty soon. So, um, yeah, check that out if you haven't already, if you're not horribly offended by the use of grid girls. Anyway, <laughs> King, what do you got for us? Um, as I said earlier, uh, usually when I pick drivers, they win. And for the third race in a oh. row so far this season... I correctly predicted who would win the IndyCar race on my fantasy IndyCar team. I didn't have the best weekend out of anyone because of, thanks, Graham Rahal. Oh, oh word. You're mad at Rahal, yeah? <laughs> yeah, because You're Graham mad. Rahal, yeah, uh, I ended up scoring uh, 118 points, and I think yep. the highest score in our league got 125. But it was still, yep. like, good enough to pull out, like, a sizable lead in our fantasy IndyCar league. Like, I'm 17th in the world, and I lead our league by, what, 20, yeah, 27, 27. points. Just to update the table real quick for your playing, if you want to join our league, by the way, it's it's you have to search for it. It's called Time to Race the Tweets. And if you find it, join it, because the winner, or the highest-ranked person that's not a member of this podcast, Ryan King, um... <laughs> We'll get a Harris, we'll get a Motorsport 101 T-shirt, which is really neat and stuff. So, as we mentioned, Ryan King leads the way with 389 points. He's got a 27-point lead over Carla Fienzio in second place. Um, Charlie Regible is in third place with 353 ahead of Marcos Uber with 343. Andrew Kissinger, Patreon backer, 342 in fifth ahead of Chris Cook. Yes, that Chris Cook in sixth on 339. Vanessa Meyer in 7th with 3.34, ahead of Who Said Romo with 3.32, the guy we all secretly want to beat. Um, Henry Chapman in, in 9th place with 3.30, and Tyler Small, big Patreon backer, in 10th place with 3.27, who's one point ahead of me in 11th place in 3.26. I had a good day. Like I, I, I said, I didn't even mention this. Like I completely forgot that I picked Newgarden and Dixon, who finished yeah. one and two. So I will gladly take that <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. I at least like, yeah, because I pick, think uh, Joseph Newgarden, and I am still bottom half of the table in a fifty-six there's... person league. I am forty-first. <laughs> there's still there's still a long way to go, and there's still like two double points races on the calendar. Mm, joy. Good luck picking. Good luck picking one for the 500 there, guys. Yeah. No pressure like, or anything. Dre, you were you actually finished uh, fourth out of just this race weekend. You were the fourth highest points earner this weekend. I'm a, I'm a late bloomer, King. You're yeah. a late bloomer. That's what get, I say. Getting, them, slow, getting them points when they count. Slow and steady rings the race, my friend. Slow and steady. I'm saving it up for the 500. Let's go, Max Chilton. <laughs> Let's go, Max Chilton. I'm pretty sure you get to pick six dudes for the 500 as well, don't you? Uh, I don't know. Let me check. I'm pretty sure you. I'm pretty sure that was the case last year. You got, you got to pick six guys on a two hundred dollar budget. I think it was on a two hundred. That's that's pretty awesome. Wonder wonder how many people are going to pick Alonzo. How much is Alonzo going to be worth? Yeah, like how do you rate Alonzo? You can't just rate him like a standard rookie. Fourteen bucks, buddy. Lazier value. <laughs> Fourteen bucks. <laughs> it gotta go. It's gotta go conservative. I mean, he's never driven an oval in his life. Yeah, I mean, are we sure that Andretti over. has all that reliability after Long Beach? It could be worse. You could pick Connor Daly. <laughs> oh, it's like, I, I don't even want to get into that. Like, yeah, Connor Daly we'll get, has been we'll, pretty terrible in terms of picking. Yeah. Brennan, I'm looking at you. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, so how, how's your humble brag this week, King? Uh, great, great, seventeenth in the world. Like I said, <laughs> like I think I'm like I'm pretty close. Like I'm seventeenth in the world, but the point, like the point gap between me and the guy in first is not that large. Oh, and remind, if, 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 remind everybody what you get if you finish first out of everybody. Oh, uh, you get a VIP race experience at next year's Indianapolis 500. Oh man. Hmm. Yes. King. King, King, are you down for sharing if you win? <laughs> sharing? I'm just throwing this out there, okay? Shoot your shot. <laughs> no? <laughs> Maybe? Let's see, like the point gap between... Yeah, I'm in 17th. Yeah, it's uh, 27 points between me and the guy in first. Like, king for world domination. Just... <laughs> Just when I found out, you can take two guests with him. But guys, we're going to the we're going to the five hundred together. Wait, <laughs> we're gonna record King... on location. Blitz. <laughs> oh my it's god! Gonna, it's gonna be the new James Hinchcliffe Mayor on Air podcast. We're we, we gonna we're gonna gate crash Hinch's podcast. That's the plan. Yeah. We're like Hinch. Can I be on your show? I'm the fantasy challenge champion. <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? Right. <laughs> So that's going to be a thing. I, I, I'm happy with my 11th place for what it's worth. Like I will gladly take that for the time being. I'm not greedy. Like I said, <laughs> I'm, I said I'm, a, I'm a slow burner. I'm a slow burner. Uh, that's what I'm here for. Just um, I'm not picking. I'm not picking Graham Rahal again. Sod that shit. I guess I'm just happy to be here after after all of my value picks have gone bust. I picked J.R. Hildebrand at Long Beach. He hurt his hand. I picked Ed Jones at Barber. Uh, this was the race where Ed Jones finally came back down to earth. More on that in a bit. More on that very shortly. But, um, yeah. Um, at least two of us can say, King, that we're way ahead of all the grit girls. Uh, well, you're ahead of most of the... Yeah, you're ahead of all the grit girls, yeah. Podcast superiority! <laughs> Be sure to listen to the grit girls at thegridgirls.com. Is it gridgirls.com or gridgirls.net? Anyway, listen yeah, to the Grid Girls it, podcast. Subscribe to it. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's on <laughs> soundcloud.com slash the grid girls. This was no time for a shameless plug. We're trying to assert our authority here, and this is what we get. We get shameless plugs instead. We are far too nice on this show. We had a Matt, though. We're stopping out Matt. Be sure to listen to the Cook and Carnero podcast. <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> I'm having none of this. <laughs> this insubordination stops right now as we move on to talk about the IndyCar Grand Prix at Barber. me finishing stomping a mod hole in RJ O'Connell. Right, let's talk about some IndyCar. <laughs> so, we had the IndyCar Grand Prix of Alabama, and uh, oh, oh yeah, RJ's man's won. Okay, bring him back from the dead. And on Easter Monday, Jesus rose again. <laughs> go on, RJ, go on. Ah, yes. Um, 
I was just actually very sad that I couldn't go this year. Um, I went in 2015 when Joseph Newgarden won his very first race, which was really fun. I went last year when Simon Pagano and Graham Rahal had another pretty outstanding and dicey duel for the win. Um, this year we didn't go because of money issues and also the weather was kind of sketch for most of the weekend. Like, for those who had missed it, um, there were overnight shatter- showers on Saturday going into Sunday morning. Um, it was still going to be the mm-hmm. coolest race in a while, but we were all worried, like, is it going to rain or not? Should we even go? It's like a two-hour drive either way. Um, so we ended up watching it at home. Um, still pretty satisfying experience to see Joseph Newgarden in his third race for Penske take the victory but it wasn't as straightforward as it sounded because new garden had just missed the top six in qualifying had to start seventh on a track that is traditionally tough to pass on um so what he did he was the only driver to start on black uh primary tires were they were mm-hmm. they scuffs or were they stickers i'm trying to remember I believe they were stickers. Yeah, so he's the only dude starting on sticker black tires, which, interestingly enough, despite the cool conditions, were actually the quicker tire up and down the field. And Newgarden in the first leg of the race was just mowing down. He was making passes in the first few laps of the race. By the time everybody was cycling through their pit stops, he was up in contention for the victory. Um, Your man went round the outside of my man on the penultimate corner, and I was not best pleased. Mm. Mm. But I mean, hey, it, it happens. You just got you just got to make the moves where you can because Barber's tricky to pass out, yeah. especially in the final two corners. Which uh, Joseph decided, hey, I'm go- I'm gonna race wheel to wheel with my teammate, defending champion Simon Pagano. It's only my third third race with the team, and I'm just gonna be like, nope, just uh, just file up in line behind me, dude. Take that, my French friend. (laughs) Simon! Oh, my goodness. Um, So, Joseph is running a pretty solid race. He does have to spend one stint on the option red tires, which, as mentioned, if there were any big losers of this IndyCar Grand Prix of Alabama, besides Marco Andretti, who lost three laps with a pre-race transmission issue, it were the Uh. red option tires. Nobody wanted to be on them, and Joseph was falling away from race leader Will Power during that stint. Power was off to the races, even after mm-hmm. two safety cars, yellow flags, full course yellows, whatever you want to call them. One for a touch between Ryan Hunter Ray and James Hinchcliffe on the very first lap of the race. The other when Spencer Pickett got the commentator's curse as he was running in the top oh. 10. Um, he was running well inside the top 10, and Lee Dippy did a pretty good job to point out how well he was running, and then he spun, he spun it out coming out of the Honda hairpin. <laughs> I, I was like, Lee, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, buddy. Um, so that sets up the final 22-lap stint of the race. Uh, they take their final pit stops. Scott Dixon, after a after a botched second pit stop, comes back and does well enough on his third pit stop to jump ahead of Newgarden in the order. So the restart was Will Power, Scott Dixon, and Joseph Newgarden. Wait, hold up, because ahead of Will Power... Uh, pitting off sequence is a, is, a, is a good friend of Will Powers. Uh, happens to drive for Chip Ganassi. That would be one Charles Kimball. Um, oh. Yeah, who, in case in case you missed it, at Long Beach, uh, they had a bit of a coming together, and Power had some not nice things to say, which were eventually sorted out in the lead-up to the Barber race. But uh, So Charlie Kimball is just 
out there running ahead of Will Power, and we were just thinking, oh, awkward. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, not not, not again. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I thought Will Power was going to proverbially flip the ambulance. Oh, buddy. Well, as it turns out, Will Power um, had other issues. Uh, because with about 15 laps to go, his team radioed in and told him, Buddy, you have a puncture. Your front ti- your tires are down to 12 PSI. You're not going to make it to the end of the race. And this is while he's leading. He led 60 laps and only came away with a 14th place finish. <sighs> I, sh- yeah. I should just say this now. I am so sorry, Will Power. I take I take the blame for this. Yeah, King, this is all your fault. Yep, See, I didn't pick I didn't pick power to win. The racing gods are like, King didn't pick power. Power can't win. It's really gotten to his head, hasn't it, RJ? <laughs> it really has. Oh, like holy shit! <laughs> like he's, he's like just... King. King now thinks he's some kind of racing god. It's. <laughs> Like, like, did you did you give, like give Maverick Vinales a curse as well while you were at it? Is that it? Yeah, my, my boy, my boy Marquez has to be undefeated in America. It just has to be. Yeah. Um. <laughs> by the way, more on this in Bike Live, but also we've decided that Mark Marquez is now an American citizen. Um, yes. Because uh, we're not getting a natural born American MotoGP rider anytime soon. So the best thing yep. we can do is just adopt the most successful American rider, and that is now Austin Tetz stated Mark Marquez. <laughs> more on that next week um but uh, yeah absolutely i can't deny that for a second but yeah um willpower oh man just he's had horrendous luck all season long to this point and this this was no exception like he's had three rounds you can now pretty much call write-offs right from the start and like he might already be out of serious title running at this point and that's just brutal for willpower he, like, he might have to win the 500 now to get back in the mix. As it was That's... pointed out on NBC Sports Network, despite the fact that he missed a race last year, going into this event, Will Power was actually further behind the championship lead this year than he was at this point last season. Yes. God damn you, Bourdais! <laughs> yeah. My man's still and in it, that title lead! And it looked like it was, it was going to come together. He was dominant. Uh, this is a track where having the clean air obviously helps. He was leading a lot of laps. He took pole position. And then the tire just goes flat. And even after Joseph Newgarden inherited the lead, um, which proved to be pretty pretty big when uh, he got around Scott Nixon in the final two quarters, uh, the first mm-hmm. lap after the restart, because that essentially put him in the lead of the race. But even still, he had significantly less time in push to pass than Scott Nitson had. So I was just worried, like, oh my goodness, is Scott Nitson going to make his move at some point? But Joseph Newgarden was able to just strategically use his push to pass whatever he had left in short bursts to just keep ahead of Scott Nitson and prevent him from getting a run. And eventually, Nitson mm-hmm. used up his tires. And Joseph Newgarden has picked up his second win at Barber Motorsport Park, his home track, pretty much because he is from nearby Hendersonville, Tennessee. Tennessee stand up. Joseph Dugarden in his third race in Penske colors is a race winner in the Verizon IndyCar series. Yeah, and I think they mentioned the broadcast. He mentioned it. It took Simon Pagenaud a whole year to get his first win. It took Joseph Dugarden three races. 
it's almost like Joseph Newgarden is a really fucking good driver. Like, like, like call me crazy, but I think the guy's really good. I mean, after, <laughs> after all, I think half the podcast picked him to win the championship this year. Yeah, yeah. Just, just, just thought I'd remind everybody of this. Yeah. Like we. We kind of called this, you guys. Um, well, well, half the I mean, it's, anyway. it's still it still isn't in the bag yet because he still does not lead the championship. Yeah, yeah like you, your other man's leads that you yeah. you spoilt brass. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's um, my man Hinch is in fifth place right now, so I will, I will gladly take this right now. This is way better than expectation. Yeah, we quite have frankly, the top five all within fifteen points in the championship, yeah. just as a brief overview of the top five we have Sebastian Bourdais 117 Scott Ditson at 111 Joseph Newgarden at 110 Simon Pagano at 106 and James Hinchcliffe at 102 with a significant gap back to sits uh Scott Ditson has had some success at Barber but success is it, it's relative because mm. Scott Ditson finished se- second place this is his seventh Barber Motorsports Park podium finish he has never won here the Kimi Raikkonen of Bahrain situation, where Kimi Raikkonen has had eight Bahrain podiums and has never won the race itself. Same with Scott Dixon here. Seven Barber podiums, and he hasn't won yet. And you could tell Dixon threw the house at him. He had significantly more push to pass in the final stages of the Grand Prix, but Newgarden was so fast, Dixon just burned them up to no avail. Seemingly, yeah. maybe, yeah, go, go on, and, yeah. And, and yeah, Newgarden had pushed push the pass left the spare, even though it was to the point where, like, Dixon had double the push to pass that Newgarden did, but it yeah. didn't matter. And, of it course, did. Will Power had double the push to pass of anybody else in the field, so he had plenty of reserve to gap the field, if not for the fact that his tire just went to shits. Yeah, when they got the tire back from the pit lane, they found out it was at 12 psi, and which is which is less than half of what an IndyCar tire normally runs at. And Firestone straight up said there was no way he would have finished the race. So yeah, they did the right thing by boxing power for safety reasons, obviously, because that thing was going to go pop um, at some point anyway. But um, yeah, Dixon and another very solid result for Dixon. I have to say a little bit of banter. Shout out to to Scott's wife, the lovely Emma Davis Dixon. Um, we had a bit of bants between ourselves on Twitter during the final restart period. I may or may not have poked a bear with a stick by tweeting, <laughs> any comments at Emma Davis Nixon? <laughs> and she said, yeah, just praying for a safe restart. The Kringers crossed and like, the, the cute bear emoji. Uh, and I was like, of course you do. <laughs> Fun fact, 12 PSI is less, is a lower PSI than a standard NFL football. Now, do we know you, anybody you, you, on the podcast that has run into that has had uh, issues with their teams running in with uh, inflation uh, properties of regulation size footballs? Hmm. No, 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 like. I, I, I think Sarah Connors is beyond the struggle at this point. I, I mean, there's, there's, there's fucking bastard. <laughs> Well, well played, King. Well played. Well played. I'll, I'll give you that one. Well played. Um, but yeah, shout out. To, like she, she liked my tweet, so I, I, I like to think we're back on good terms again now. So, um, Emma, if you're listening, you know, how, how about a lunch date next time I'm at a Grand Prix? Whoa. Uh, uh, Whoa. How about that? Listen, <laughs> she has a wife. I mean, she has a husband and kids. 
What's a friendly lunch between friends? <laughs> Shoot your shot, man. Any, any reason to turn in my calls, King, okay? <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. You're, you're all right, really, Emma. I'm, I'm glad you could take the joke. Well, well done, Emma. I, I, I applaud you for that one. Good bounce. Good bounce. Um, speaking of uh, top-tier title contenders, Simon Pagano, very quietly doing the work and getting on the podium again, a third-place finish for him. And um, I find it funny, King, like, for the second time in three rounds, Pagano couldn't even push the limit because he was fuel-saving the entire time. <laughs> yeah, just got the strategy wrong and ended up, I wouldn't say behind the eight ball, but, I mean, third place is still a good result, but, you know... It's- most likely. It's actually, no, it's definitely what Pagano did not want. He wanted the win. He wanted the win, and he was evidently frustrated by the fact that he couldn't push as hard as he would have liked you know, for that very reason. Um, so, yeah, second time in three rounds, because it happened at um, St. Pete as well, where he struggled. And he couldn't, he couldn't go as hard as he would have liked because, again, had to yeah. save fuel. Yeah, and so. this was one of those races where you think, like, well, if he's come from the back a couple of times, at Long Beach in particular, to uh, finish well, then maybe you would think that on paper, Simon Pagano would have a good chance to win this race, and it just never materialized. On the other hand, that bright fluorescent yellow Menard's livery is just... Mm, mm. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. 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 I'm here for all of that. It is a beautiful livery. Yeah, we had some. We had a one particular mover that finished fifth uh, behind Elio Castroneves, the third Penske car inside the top five, and the only reason why it wasn't a top four sweep of was because of Will Power's noted tire issues. Alexander Rossi started 18th, had a pretty unlucky qualifying session, but used the undercut to his advantage on every single one of his stops and worked his way up to fifth place. And on a track where it's notoriously tough to get around people and make many moves uh, just on the track by itself, you got to really make your hay in terms of strategy and uh, track position. Rossi did very well to get 13 places up the grid. I think think it's that that GP2 experience coming to the forefront where, you know, he raced in GP2 before there was DRS. So it was, you know, like Formula 1 where it was hard to overtake people. You had to use pit strategy to your advantage and it really... It really showed this race. It's that European experience, yo. <laughs> so, Alexander Fernando. Rossi. Yeah, <laughs> Alexander Rossi, now 10th in the standings. Um, he is making huge, huge strides in his second year in the IndyCar series. Um, <laughs> it, it, maybe maybe the 500 win was not a fluke. Maybe we're yet to see the best of what Alexander Rossi has to deliver in IndyCar. Well, to be fair, he nearly had the podium at Long Beach as well, and he finished, what, just outside the top 10 last season, so no matter which way you slice it, Rossi's here to stay, folks, and the guy is the guy's I, clearly got something. I don't doubt his ability on, you know, the street circuits or the, or the road courses. What I want to see is him doing well on the ovals. Out, like, I, <laughs> I, I don't... Yes, yes, I know you're going to bring up Indianapolis last year. But I really want to see how well he does in the short ovals because last year he ins- did. Yeah, that's entirely. Yeah, last fair. year. Yeah, last year he was fantastic in Indianapolis. Obviously, he was also great at Pocono until he was, you know, forced to retire. But I really want to see how well he does at the short ovals, especially now that they're becoming a larger and larger part of the calendar now. I would have seen fight Tony Kanaan. <laughs> <laughs> Tony Kanaan finishing seventh behind James Hinchcliffe and Sitz, who would have been in for a top five had he not um, 
overshot his mark going up for a pass on that Honda hairpin. Uh, a couple of places. But hey, God since, damn it. it's still a good result. He's still in the top five in the standings, y'all. Yeah, Hinchcliffe said it himself. He said that he, he reckons he would have got on the podium if it wasn't for that mistake. And he, he said himself that if we're frustrated at finishing sixth, it means we've got something here. And they've got something. I mean, as I mentioned it before, Hinch could have very easily had two wins going into this race. And they've, like, he's making fast sixes. He's, he's he's up there in qualifying. He's up there on race pace. This is no fluke. Hinchcliffe is really doing a fantastic job with the SPM card this year. Absolutely. Um, his teammate Mikhail Lotion also bagged the top 10 finish as well, finishing 10th behind Takuma Sato. Um, is it too early to mention that Takuma Sato is 8th in the standings right now and consistently... Yeah. Not winning? now, Sato! <laughs> I, I, I think it's crazy in itself that we have four teams with drivers in the top five in the driver standings. And they're led by Dale Coin Racing. <laughs> Dale Coin Racing. Dale fucking Coin. Again, <laughs> I said it, I've said it before, uh, there was a time where Dale Coin Racing was, it, they were they were bad in an arguably uh, thinner, weaker league than what we have right now. And now they're yeah. leading the championship. That is crazy. Like I know it's this weird. is like I know this Dale Coin Racing of today is not like the Dale Coin Racing of about ten or fifteen years ago, but that's still that's still ridiculous. It's like if Sauber that they that they made that champion. progress. <laughs> I don't get it. Oh my god! <sighs> just don't just don't tell the Corner Daily fan base that. Oh boy, yeah. AJ Foyt Racing and Ed Carpenter Racing, for that matter, didn't have the best of results. Although it is a bit misleading for Ed Carpenter's side because. Spencer Pickett got jinxed out of a top 10 finish, and Zach Veach making his IndyCar debut in place of the mm. injured J.R. Hildebrand uh, finished on the lead lap despite getting a drive through penalty for working in a closed pit. Um, kept, But kept the car running on track the whole race, was up into the top 10 when he was off sequence. A good result for Zach Veach in his first IndyCar drive, and hopefully more to come in the future. Here's hoping. Um, great, yeah, great result for Zach Beach there. It was nice to see the excitement for him as well, given he's got the opportunity, and he's going to be at the 500 as well, so keep an eye on him in the coming months as well. Um, so how much so how much RJ do you want to fanboy about Fernando Alonso in the commentary booth? Oh my goodness. Um, actually, I was just like, yeah, Fernando Alonso in the commentary booth, that's, that's pretty all right, actually. Although I was nice. amused by the fact that he was the only person uh, without a suit. Just uh, <laughs> just hanging out with everybody else. Everybody is just dressed nice, and here he is in his long sleeve gray T-shirt, <laughs> dressing like I do. <laughs> so, 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 let me guess: what, you wear stuff other than old F1 gear and Joseph Newgarden shirts? Um, well, not today because I've still got my Joseph Newgarden shirt on. Uh, King, are you shocked at this? No, I'm not shocked. No, me neither. Nor <laughs> should you be. No, no, like that is extremely disgustingly on brand as I raise my Snapple can to my lips. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe you, RJ. I mean, you, you, you're desecrating the podcast of these sponsors in your filth. Um, Snapple, if you're, if you're listening, you know, call me. I buy plenty of stock. I'm just saying, plenty. Yeah. Five bottles today. Five. That's a record for me. I'm just saying. This was a good. This was a good uh, race, Barber. I would say it that was. 
this race usually tends to be like uh, a bit processional in the middle stages um uh, the start was certainly interesting but once it gets down to like the final 30 laps or so then it gets entertaining again this is kind of a track that really shouldn't be all that great for indie cars but somehow it is and it's at a it's at a place in the country again we're talking about suburban birmingham alabama where college <laughs> football and nascar reign supreme and the indie yes. race is a huge huge draw like like it's still a surprise to me that barbara even exists there like again they weren't des- this track wasn't designed for you know Indy cars. They were designed for motorcycles to begin with. Yes, and, and this they, easily and could and yeah. yeah, and this could have been easily just made into another freaking golf course. Yeah, it could have easily been. And again, it's not that there's, it's not that there's an amazing bike scene in America right now because there just isn't. It's not, it's not like it was ten years ago. So yeah, for the, all the more reason why it's a surprise and a cool surprise that Barber is now one of my favorite rounds on the IndyCar calendar every year. It's uh. It's really, really cool to see that, um, yeah, Barber still makes, yeah, getting a proper footnote on the calendar. Yep. So, yeah. Just got a three-year cool. extension on the calendar as well. It's a, it's yep. an inexpensive time. I would highly recommend going. Go to the Barber Museum as well. It's fun. They have five floors of vintage motorcycles and even race cars as well. Ooh, very nice. Very nice. Looking forward to the, that's that's very cool indeed. So, uh, RJ, you want to run down the result real quick? Yes, we do. We have the official bot score with the race won by Joseph yes. Newgarden in first place. Scott Dixon in second. Simon Pagano in third. Elio Castroneves fourth. Ahead of Alexander Rossi in fifth. With James Hinchcliffe in sixth. Tony Kanan in seventh. Sebastian Bourdais in eighth. And Takuma Sato in ninth. With Mikhail Lotion rounding out the top ten. Ryan had a ray, a bit unlucky with that first lap contact to be mired down in 11th, but still salvaged something out of it. Matt Chilton, a pretty quiet race in 12th, ahead of Graham Rahal, who, as we said, got faith in you, Graham. You usually do well. I mean, good for you for great, gaining eight spots uh, after starting dead last, but could have been better. Will Power, of course, unlucky to finish 14th. Uh, one spot ahead of his good buddy, Charlie Kimball. Ed Jones finally came back down to earth in 16th. Out of Carlos Munoz in 17th, Connor Daly in 18th. By the way, Ooh. did we did we tell the story about uh, how Connor Daly's pit crew basically just ran him out of fuel on the last lap? Oh my god! Yeah. H- how did Foyt get that that wrong? Like because uh, like DRS is different because DRS you can just use it unlimited times; it doesn't really affect your fuel mileage. Puss the pass is a completely different story because it ups your RPM. That means you burn more fuel. They didn't take that account saying that, you know, Connor Daly can use push the pass as much as you want. They didn't account that into his fuel mileage. Burns through his push the pass, meaning burns through a whole ton of extra fuel he did not have and runs out. This reminds me of uh, the iconic scene of Days of Thunder where Cole Trickle is just griping to his uh, pit crew about something, like the car's handling like garbage or something, and the entire pit crew is just completely buggered off to go eat ice cream on the stand. <laughs> Maybe Jack like, Hawksworth had a point, although he is like, racing for Paul Genelosi and Lexus and IMSA, so I don't know. Connor Daly like, finishes yeah. 18th. Zach Veach, 19th, on the lead lap, had a clean race, probably not the result he would have wanted. Spencer Pickett in 20th, one lap down, and Marco Andretti, three laps down in 21st and last. So everybody finished this Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. Wow, that's neat. 
Yeah, going back to Conor Daly for just a minute here as well. I I actually did try to Instagram him by saying I, I sent him a message saying, "Is it true what happened with you and the pit crew?" Uh, amazingly, I didn't get a response. Um, journalism, Dre here. Journalism here, clearly. Um, but uh, yeah, like from what I've been told, they basically again, as, as King said, just ran out of fuel because they over they overused the push to pass. Like how? Like the idea you messed that up. I mentioned it on Twitter as well about Hawksworth may have been onto something. Not that we took him seriously that then because it was Jack Hawksworth. But, he, again, he may have been onto something with that, which is just disappointing yeah. to hear that Foyt... It's just, is Foyt just really that badly run that their strategists can't even get a calculator out? Yeah, they're, they're in the middle of what should be a long-term rebuilding process with the expectation of having results now, giving the drivers that they have... And also the mm-hmm. fact that they switched to Chevrolet. They have two shops all the way across the country, north and south. Yeah. And I said, they have the youngest team in the field and a very exciting team in Conor Daly and Carlos Munoz. Two very talented drivers and nothing really to show for it so far. And I know Chevrolet has only got eight cars in the field this year compared to to, to um, Honda with 15 but even so, yeah, it's just not been a good time for AJ Foy at all so far this season, which is a real shame because I thought that was going to be the team to watch in the field. And yet, if you tell any Conor Daly fan this, even more so, it looks like Dale Coyne's gotten their shit together so far this season that they're genuinely running in the top 10 now on merit, right in the middle after Conor Daly leaves and loses his seat to Sebastian Bourdais. Yeah, brutal. With all the top, well, all the big three teams in the top five, um, I think it's very fitting that the established powers came to prominence uh, in the great state of Alabama, which, of course, it's known for having the most uh, successful, overpowering juggernaut in all of college football. Hashtag, Roll time. Hashtag RMFTOTA. <laughs> I'm going to regret asking this, but what does that stand for? Roll motherfucking tight on that ass! <laughs> you had to ask. Whoops. My bad. I, I apologize. I, 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 give this, I give this race a solid eight screaming celebrations in my backyard out of ten. Yes. Mm, yeah, seems about right to me. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, so... With that IndyCar discussion out of the way, and RJ will probably be celebrating for the next four days still, which is, you know, crazy, but we'll roll with it. Let's move on, let's do the news. Oh boy, we have a ton of news this week, and sadly, we have to start on a negative note regarding some regarding the news of we mentioned we mentioned him last week, but uh, Benny Munger, um, we've had a, an update on his on his health, and sadly, it is not a, a positive one to say the least. King, yes, uh, more details about his injuries has come out, and he's had. Uh, one, his left leg amputated just below the knee, and his right leg amputated, I think, up to his thigh. 
Yeah, um, again, now now we can kind of see why it took them two hours to remove him out of the car. And um, now we know why. And it, it's, it's, it's tragic, obviously. I mean, Billy's still only 17 years old from all the reports and people talking about him. He seems like a genuinely lovely kid. And, um, you know, his effective racing career, you could say, is over. I mean, but... but there was a there was a GoFundMe um, raised to try and you know cover some of Billy's medical costs as well as maybe converting some of his home, future care, etc. The target was two hundred and sixty thousand pounds to get to that. They made the motorsport community came together and raised it in the space of twenty four hours, which was genuinely incredible. Um, so, um, including some notable names chipped in, I saw Jensen Button put in fifteen grand, Max Verstappen. Put in fifteen grand. Um, I know Andy Prio was in was was in there as well. Um, so they chipped in to support as well. Um, Woody Halson was in there. So I think maybe some of the Rogue One guys had had, had heard this this message go around. It, it had gone super far. I think the fund now stands at something like eight hundred thousand pounds, nearly fr- over three times their target, which yeah, is it is a, at, a, as wonderful. of right now. It is at two hundred and eighty. 290% of the stated goal it is at 754,138 pounds as of 3.52pm mm-hmm. on April the 25th 2017 um, yes the motorsport community came through and absolutely came in support of this kid who as as most young racers do they're struggling for budget so that was the big absolutely. worry when he had this accident that you know that maybe Maybe he wouldn't have enough to try and just live a normal life after this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Maybe like we maybe we got lucky on this podcast because you know what? Literally in the last few minutes, Billy has has actually released a statement on Twitter. Big thanks to Owen Allen for posting this one up. I read it out. It goes, <clears throat> "A huge thank you to each and every one of you. Your kind words have given me and my family the strength to get through this past week." The love and generosity of our motorsport family, fans, and everyone that has supported me is awesome and truly inspirational. The marshals, medics, doctors, air ambulance, and extraction crews at Donington, along with all of the staff at Queen's Medical Center, what can I say? Without you guys, I wouldn't be here today. I will always thank you all for saving my life. The one true hero of this tragic event has been my sister, Bonnie, who gave me the will to keep fighting, a value that I will continue to hold now and for the rest of my life. And what a beautiful message. And I love that Billy says he wants to continue racing at some point. And I know many people have chipped in offering seats. So um, I don't think this will be the last you see of Billy on a racetrack. And I, I eagerly look forward to seeing that happen. So, of course, on behalf of all of us here, all the best, Billy. And um, continued recovery and hopefully continued success. Right, other news. This is a big one because this again, this one came through about four hours before we started recording this show. Again, we, for once, we got lucky on the news reports that you know last week the Alonso news came out the day after we recorded the show, which was yeah. just awful in that sense. Um, this time around, we got a little bit luckier, um, but it's 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 a it's a it's a kind of a sad one from the world of nascar unfortunately mr o'connell yeah um dale earnhardt jr today announced that this will be his last season of nascar cup series competition he is retiring at the end of the 2017 
season and it's a big deal because Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been perennially through through the good times and the bad he has perennially been one of NASCAR's most popular drivers of course he's second generation star his father the late Dale Earnhardt Sr. one of the most um, successful and beloved drivers in the history of mm-hmm. the sport especially after his untimely passing in the 2001 Daytona 500 um, after that, Dale Earnhardt Jr. kind of had to carry the family legacy, and for the most part, he's done his due diligence. He's won the Daytona 500 twice. He's been a championship contender on multiple occasions, but he turns 43 this October. Um, he's coming at the end of his contract, and more importantly, he's coming off of um, severe concussion syndrome that forced him to miss most mm-hmm. of 2016, uh, probably would be the main reason why he is deciding to hang it up early. Um, Hendrick Motorsports' team has not had any announcement on whether or not anybody will come in and replace him. No announcement just yet, but looking at his career, he's got 26 career cup victories uh, 20, in the top 30 in the all-time winners list. Um, for my money, he's one of the greatest drivers, that, especially in this ultra-competitive era that the sport has, Absolutely. that has yet to win his first title. Um, and this will be his last chance to do it, um, basically. And yeah, it's it's a huge blow, uh, not only for not only for Junior Nation, which is a huge huge fan base, Massive but also nation. you think about who has retired in the last three years. We had Jeff Gordon retiring mm. at the end of 2015, Tony Stewart at the end of 2016, and now Dale Earnhardt Jr. at the end of this 2017 season. Edward Stewart. At Carl Edwards retire, and they all account for so so much of NASCAR's popularity in terms of like fans who will follow one driver through thick and thin. Um, yeah, and they're absolutely. all gone. And this is now coming at a time where NASCAR's popularity is starting to wane significantly. That's, this is exactly the point I was about to make. Dale Earnhardt, for context, I think was voted by the fans as, as the most popular driver on 14 occasions. Yeah, just just for context, his first full-time season in the Cup Series was 2000. Wow. So that's, that's, this, this is his 18th season in, in, in springtime and competition. I think the only reason he didn't get voted most popular driver in his rookie year because his father was still racing. Yeah. yeah, kind of an unfair a disadvantage on that one, really. <laughs> right. um, um, yeah, and yeah. the the only the last three winners of the NASCAR Most Popular Driver Award since 1991 have been Bill Elliott, who won it ten years in a row in eleven in total between 1991 and 2002. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. has now won it 14 times in a row. Will probably win the 15th. Dale Earnhardt. Oh, no Jr. kidding. Dale Earnhardt Sr. was awarded it posthumously in 2001. Yeah, safe to say, I think Dale's got that one on lock now for, for year 15 yeah. in a row. I, I, think, I, mean, I have I think... his statement in front of me about his retirement. Go on. Go on. He said, uh, quote, you're wondering why I reached this decision. It's really simple. I just wanted the opportunity to go out on my own terms. I wanted to honor my commitment to Rick, Rick Hendrick, and to my sponsors, to my team, and to the fans. I'll admit that, that having influence over my own exit only became me- meaningful when it's when it seemed most unlikely. As you know, I missed a few races last year, and during that time, I had to face the realization that my driving career may have already ended without me so much as having a vote at the table. Of course, in life, we're not promised a vote, and that's especially true in racing. And I think I'll just end right there. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Just, it, it's, it's... 
I was going to say, I wonder how much of the concussion of last year played into that because, again, we've, we've talked about it on this show on many occasions, you know, the the, the, deal, the dealings of head trauma and, again, Dale pretty much missed half of the season um, last year through concussions and, and we've talked, related And symptoms. we've talked on multiple occasions while drivers trying to tough it out and drive through injuries um mm-hmm. the Pascal Verline situation most recently when we found Absolutely. out that his injuries were uh a bit more severe than we had led to believe um even in the world yeah. of hockey we had Joe Thornton of the San Jose Sharks play with a torn ACL and MCL Jesus just I saw that yesterday and I was just like what is he doing like just uh, playing like, on literally one leg right. I just it reminds me because he was my favorite, one of my favorite players in the NFL for a little while. Robert Griffin did the same thing effectively when he was playing Seattle in his first and to date only playoff game, where clearly his his ACL was torn in the first quarter of that game, but he played for another half. And I will always resent Mike Shanahan for that one, who should have yeah. pulled him out of the game straight away, but pretty much made Griffin play on one leg, which. You can go into a deeper conspiracy regarding that and Kirk Cousins and you know, his future role as starter of the team and Shanahan getting on the radio every two fucking seconds to say that, oh, Cousins is a top 10 quarterback. Yeah, it was a great idea we picked him as well as Robert Griffin, but it goes on. It's just We've seen many examples of this in, in, in sports, especially in the United States, where there, there seems to be almost this culture of playing through pain and... You know, playing through injury and almost almost in fear that you might lose your spot if you do succumb to injury or something along those lines. I mean, remember Alex Smith when he was at the Forty Niners? He he was having the he was having the best year of his career. He was throwing seventy percent in terms of accuracy in the NFL, which was I think one of the highest ever at that point. Had a ton of touchdowns. Took a concussion in a in a smaller divisional game. Colin Kaepernick was brought in, and Smith was done in San Francisco. Not that we knew it at the time. So that's why a lot of players will hide the fact they got concussions because they feared their spot could be at risk. So it's that awful culture of of, of head injuries, playing through pain, and just the nature of 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 you know that whole vibe of just injuries and how we deal with them. But um, Dale, a very very important figure in NASCAR, and I wonder, RJ, is is, is the popularity of NASCAR ever going to recover from like losing so many prolific drivers so quickly? I mean, like you said. Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Edwards, and now Dale Jr. It's like, it's like the backbone of NASCAR for the last two decades is pretty much gone now. Right. <laughs> and they, don't get me wrong, they have the talent. They have the talent Absolutely. of guys in, like, Chase Elliott, Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, um, you name it. There are a lot of great young drivers in the sport. Daniel Suarez, who are just coming up through the ranks, and they have the talent to mm-hmm. be the next um, generation. And the yes, that's generation defining uh, talents um, in the sport, but it's coming at a time where obviously the boom period has worn off. People are kind of becoming disillusioned with um, the way NASCAR has been run lately. Just as host emeritus Adam Johnson for more. Um, mm-hmm. It's 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 so tough, and I feel for these guys, and I and I feel uh, it's it's going to be tough for them to recover unless they kind of do something drastically different to try and win back some of that base of fans that they've been waning off of for a while uh, because oh there's a lot of that's there's a lot that's good about that's genuinely good objectively good about NASCAR but there's just so much bad that gets in the way of that 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just a few things about Dale Earnhardt Jr. I'll admit, I was a big Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan in the early to mid-2000s. Um, then I became cynical because he stopped being as successful as he once was, and then I found an outfit. But lately, his personality has really stepped to the forefront. He's one of the most Absolutely. entertaining Twitter follows around um in a one-off on commentary for nascar and fox he was absolutely on it so he's oh, him and jeff oh my god that is like my dream commentary booth jeff oh gordon and Earnhardt Jr. yes that'd be amazing yes and he's still got a very good um he's he's run a very successful team in the lower ranks of the nascar national series like the xfinity series in particular has seen a lot of great drivers come up through the ranks and eventually into cup series success um He's still got a future in the sport even after his driving, and his legacy in the sport will be as one of the most popular and generation-defining talents that he had, one of the last true sport-transcending guys that they have for a while. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be... That's a a hole that NASCAR may not ever be able to refill, and that's that's bold, because... like. If there's one thing I've noticed from obviously being an American sports fan and, you know, watching a lot of sports like the NFL, the NBA, or watching American-based YouTube accounts accounts on YouTube like Dude Perfect, for example, where Dale's made an appearance on that YouTube channel, and that's, that's now got over 10 million subscribers on it. It's that Dale Jr. was seemingly the transcendent guy. Like, like Dale Jr. would be the one NASCAR guy I would see everywhere. Whether it be on SportsCenter, whether it might be picking up with journalists on YouTube, everywhere. Like, Dale is that guy for NASCAR. Yeah. And- like, I think I had some someone put it to me this way. Jeff Gordon was the NASCAR driver for Madison Avenue. Dale yeah. Jr. was the NASCAR driver for Main Street. Can I just Perfect. can I read off Dale Jr.'s Twitter bio because it's the best thing. Um, <laughs> oh. He lists himself as a retired dealership service mechanic, former backup fullback for the Mooresville Blue Devils varsity soccer team, aspiring competition barbecue pitmaster, beer. <laughs> He's that is the best. Yeah, and I think the the last part of the article about his retirement statement said, uh, Earnhardt said the hardest part of his decision was having the conversation with his team owner, Rick Hendrick, on March 29th. Earnhardt said, he told me he loved me. Oh, man. We're going to miss you, Dale. And thanks for the memories, man. And that's coming from me, the guy that's only ever watched two NASCAR races, (laughs) which kind of says it all, really. Yeah. Um, we do have a bit of uh, breaking news coming in that we can inject here. J.R. Hildebrand is back in the number 21 fuzzy vodka cart, Phoenix, which is coming up Yay! this weekend. Nothing like a race on a Saturday night and the dead hours for the European audience. <laughs> Yay. Only a 2.30 in the morning start. Can't wait. <laughs> mm. Yep. Safe to say, I think I'm giving this one a miss, you guys. <laughs> Forgive uh, me. Ah, uh, well. Um, King... The strategy group met today. Yes, they did. Uh, we have uh, we have made some decisions. Um, for for starters, we they are going to ban the uh, the T wings and the shark fins from next season. Uh, they're taking measures to make sure the teams won't burn oil as fuel. Um, they're going to make the numbers and the driver names on the cars bigger, and they are 
they've come to a decision on what route they want to take in terms of additional cockpit protection. Yes, um, they're yes. going. They're they're going to push the Kingslayer, the Lunatic Fringe, <laughs> and of course the Big Dog. They're going to try mm. and advance the mm. Shield concept. Mm-mm. Yes, the Shield is in, and the Halo's in the dumpster. Now, how is Microsoft going to recruit all those sales? Uh, I don't know. Toss more money into Renault sponsorship. Or buy Call of Duty instead. <laughs> buy Call of Duty instead. But yeah, apparently um, it's seeming more and more likely that the Shield will be introduced for the 2018 season. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as we mentioned on, I think I think you guys talked about it on last week's show, and I think we talked about it the week before when it was first unveiled. I wasn't particularly keen on this, and then again, I wasn't particularly keen on the Halo either. So, like. A lot of people were, were, were tweeting me after this got announced, saying that, "Oh, this is yeah, this is great. We know the Halo is dead." Now, my response to that is this: Is an imperfect solution better than no solution at all? And I've not been able to answer my own question yet, and I've been thinking about it for the last three hours or so. And it's, I feel like we're gonna have the same issue here where. We know this is not the end game. We know that this is not going to protect you from everything. And but like I, on, I don't know. On the bright know, side, it doesn't affect the cockpit's current design. It doesn't impede extraction or right. evacu or self evacuation. But will it protect you from the from, from the one thing it's designed to protect you from? Well, being completely and genuinely honest with you, nothing could protect you from that. Like, unless you would have to you'd have to have, like, an LMP1 style cockpit. You couldn't have it be transparent. It would actually have to be, like, physical either aluminum or carbon fiber. It could not be transparent if it would protect you from a tire. So, I'll I'll ask you the same question, King. Is an imperfect solution better than no solution at all? Uh, yeah. In this case, yeah. Mm, okay. Like, in this case, like, I would say the shield is better than nothing. <sighs> Man. <laughs> RJ, what, what, have you got a take on this? Um, yeah, I mean, I would have to... I mean, it's certainly more a more aesthetically pleasing option, and it seems like it was um, Mm. more effective than the windscreen option that Red Bull tested out earlier. Um, Yeah, the windscreen option was not safe. The the arrow screen. Yeah, the arrow screen. Yeah, because in... Like, if a driver were to have a front impact, like, if they were, like, say their brakes were, would fail like Max Verstappen, and you go straight into the gravel into a tire barrier, uh, you're, like... You know, your helmet jerking forward when you make impact, your helmet would strike the arrow screen, and yeah. you basic you it would make that you know, you know, walk away, have like a little kick against the fence accident, turn into a fatal accident. Oof. Yeah, so the arrow screen was was a no, and I can't like again, I can't lie to you. I never thought the halo was going to be a thing. I always thought that it was it wasn't going to happen because there was just too much indecision from those amongst the FIA and from the drivers themselves. I could tell. 
I mean, don't get me wrong, this is Formula 1 where nobody can agree on anything, but in any case, there, like, there, I think there was too much contention regarding this for it to ever really take off as a thing, so yeah, if you want to take some solace in the Halo being dead, then sure, but yeah, I guess this is better, but the question is, is that how effective would it be? Let's hope we never have to put that to the test, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, other news from the strategy group. Uh, the strategy group are trying to come up with ways to help Honda catch up. It's come to this. Yeah, oh, it's boy. come to the nuclear option where uh, where Mercedes could enter, uh, you know, an advisory role in Honda's F1 program because essentially they feel like there's no other way that Honda could catch up without outside assistance. Yeah, that's that's damning to say the least. That um, basically you're saying that you know it, it, has it gotten to a point where Honda being this bad is making the sport look bad? Oh, I yes, because it makes it seem like it's impossible for a new manufacturer to enter. Like if 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 any outside auto company is looking at this saying if that's what Honda could do, and they were only out of the sport for, like, a couple of seasons? What is, like... What is Peugeot looking at this thing? Like, they haven't been F1 for or almost the 20 years. Or the Audi group who might... Who, yeah. but who are constantly in the rumor mill of going to Formula 1 every single year. Yeah, the, the Volkswagen... Like, Volkswagen group hasn't been in F1 since the 60s. Yeah, we rest our case. Also, we have um, we will resume races from a standing start after a red flag uh, for 2018. eh. Okay, Um, instead of a rolling start, um, I guess that's all right. Um, The thing is, how many red flags do we really get in F1 these days? Not many. Who knows? Yeah, it's kind of a minor thing for me. I think again, it's kind of trivial. I will say this, I was kind of hoping that the uh, the T-Wings got banned immediately, because what we saw with Valtteri Bottas in Bahrain, where his T-Wing flew off and nearly struck Lewis Hamilton, oh boy. Um, yeah, I think, a, like I saw a discussion with, uh, what, Pat Simmons, yeah, it was, it was Simmons, uh, Kravitz, and Christian Horner, and basically... Right. Uh, Horner and Simmons were talking about it being unsafe that it could essentially cause a car to crash and and basically uh, Kravitz you know went to a, took the discussion in a direction that Simmons and and Horner didn't want to take it. What if it had struck Lewis's helmet and would have Lewis died? <laughs> yeah, and basically both of them said. Lewis probably would have been injured. It wouldn't, like, essentially, Horner says it could be done immediately because, you know, the FIA has that, you know, if it's for, if it's in, if it's for safety, they could, you know, ban it immediately. And that's the, that's basically the the crux of the argument. Like, a a piece of T-Wing hitting a driver in the head, how much damage would that cause? And effectively... I don't know why they were like Christian Horner wasn't, you know, more forthcoming to what because would the he doesn't be. want to give the impression that all the cynics had, which is like, of course he wants the T wings banned. His car doesn't work with them. 
Yeah, that's yeah. that's what Pat Simon said. But even no, like nobody wants to be that guy and, and say that. Yeah, it would actually make our cars faster. Yeah, <laughs> like that's what Pat Simon said. Like Chris Norton said, yeah, he doesn't want he he wants the T wins banged, but but he wouldn't say like how damaging would it be to, if it had struck a driver because like it's either one like like they pretty know that the carbon fiber they use for the T-Wing isn't that, you know, durable or, you know, dense enough to cause injury, so he doesn't want to say yes when he knows that's not the truth, or that's not the truth at all. Yeah. It's, it's either way, it's not a good look. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, again, I, I'd have rather have seen them banned immediately, because, again, seeing what happened with Bottas made me very nervous. Yeah. Regarding, regarding that. So, again, I'm glad it's being banned, but I wish it would have been immediately as opposed to at the end of the season, which gives, basically, Formula 1 another 17 opportunities where someone could get hurt by one of them. Um, but, yeah, the shark fins being being banned as well is um, uh, intriguing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, like, uh, it's really nothing. It's aesthetically it's nothing. ugly for a lot of cars, but also, like... I would have rather just seen them go back to a full-on F-duct and find a safer way to implement it so that they're not having to take their hands off the wheel to use it, but... Sure. Anyway. Um, That's not a handle there. Yeah. Um, speaking of Honda and futility, um, apparently they're in talks. Um, they're in talks to have a new engine supplier, which is what they've probably <laughs> needed for the last handful of years to help them fix the shit that's wrong with their engine. Yeah, just one problem. That hon- that engine supplier is Honda. <laughs> yeah, and uh, by the way, and uh, that team that is in talks with getting Honda engines for 2018 is a team that is already projecting to be last in this year's constructors championship, and that would be Sauber. This is like pouring oil on a dumpster fire to me. Like I, I just, I just know. Yeah. Like I mean, he RJ had to preface that with projected to finish last because they currently are not last. <laughs> Exactly, because I think because Pascal's eleventh put them above McLaren, who do not have um, a finish this year. You have not. It's, well, t- no, technically Fernando did finish in Bahrain, even though it was three laps down. No, he no, just no, never no. Saw he the was classified flight. as a finisher. He did not finish. Close enough. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I mean, is this a money thing with Sauber? It kind of has to be at this point, surely. It has to be, and yeah. you know, I do. I will make the argument that, of course, you're not going to get much far, very far, using keep using last year's Ferrari engines when that partnership mm-hmm. between Sauber and Ferrari has long since dissolved. They're no longer the de facto Ferrari B team. That's now Haas. Um, for Honda's benefit, they can get an extra t- an engine, an extra team to supply engines to, and hopefully work out some of the problems I've- and see what works for them. I, I think I mentioned this in the chat, but I can't wait for next year's Sovereign lineup of Matsushita and DeVries. Yeah, that would be Bowen <laughs> Jr., Nick DeVries, and Honda Formula Dream Project prospect Nobuhara Matsushita. Um, and it gives them options, at least. Mm, but what, what, what options are we talking about here? Um, mm, it's just that like, they're not very good options right now. If I'm being honest. Yeah. It's a bit like choosing between a Nintendo Wii U and a, and a defunct classic NES Mini. Like, both of them are not particularly pleasing, and both come with their own set of problems. Yeah, it's just, it's not a good look. And again, I've said this before, but 
Like, I know using last year's Ferrari is kind of futile, but have you seen Honda this year? A Honda-powered car has not crossed the finish line yet. And I'm guessing, like, I mean, it's sad because Manisha Keltenborn was talking about the team much more positively this year, which is nice. But she's always been also the first to point out the sport's financial problems, the problems of being at the bottom of the field. And now with, you know, with one less team on the field with Mana now gone, sure, you're guaranteed constructors' money for finishing 10th. But we all know it. Being at the bottom is only—you can only last so long from being down there. And switching to Honda, the worst engine unit in the field, with no real sign of recovery anytime soon. If anything, they've regressed compared to last year. Um, it just seems like suicide to me. Unless they're getting a, a whole heap of financial compensation to make this work, it just feels like a death sentence to me. Am I crazy? Yeah, the really the only thing that would help them is the the financial backing they would get from Honda. I mean, we know that they're essentially the primary sponsor of McLaren at this point. They're not they're not afraid to throw money, but they also want to be successful. And as we've seen in the past, if Honda goes for a while without being successful, especially in a global recession, uh, they're willing to pull the plug. Yeah, especially with greater emphasis on other projects like IndyCar and their MotoGP team, which is have very success yeah, over, over, I mean, over the last year or so. I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, they're not in executive control of the IndyCar program, so they can't, they couldn't pull the plug on the IndyCar program if they wanted to. No. Okay, I get that. But yeah, fair but, enough. But yeah, I'm pretty sure on MotoGP they could pull the plug, but that's, again, that's never going to Like, yeah, that's not going to happen. Exactly. Um, so yeah, you know, it's not been a, like the indie cars working out all right, but everything else is a bit sketchy at the moment. MotoGP, Marquez has been up and down. Pedrosa is Pedrosa. The World Superbike team has not gone particularly well. The BSB team with, with them that they're in right now is you know midfield right now, upper midfield at best. They might limp to get a guy in the showdown at this rate because it's such a competitive class at the moment. We'll have to wait and see, but overall, it's just not been a fun time for Honda, really, at the moment. I mean, again, Mark Marquez might be carrying their entire motorsport division on their backs right now, which, again, not the best scene. I'll right say now. this: Osimo oh. did a very good job as the Grand Marshal yes. of the IndyCar race. <laughs> yes, he did. He's, because he's... robots are better than humans. It's just, it's just a statement of fact. Dun, 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 dun. So, what's what's the cash? What what what's the odds on Honda so desperate for Alonso to win the five hundred gets a gets a crew of Osimos to be to be Alonso's pit team? I mean, heck, they're already throwing all their resources at Alonso's entry with Michael Andretti on the pit bots, and they're getting Alexander Rossi's strategist, one of the best in the business, to also call his race for him. So. I yeah, Jules DeFerrin's in that camp as well. Goodness, yeah. I wonder if he'll be too busy wifing up Fernando for that. I wonder. <laughs> <sighs> but, uh, yeah, to say the least. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how Honda goes on through this. But, I mean, Honda, I guess, having a second team wouldn't hurt. Especially if McLaren are rumoured to be quitting that team to go back to Mercedes with their tails between their legs. That could be interesting. So, King... Is your body ready for an F1 race in New York? I was born ready. 
<laughs> the Alicia Keys. Oh, God. The rumor is uh, Liberty Media, being Liberty Media, would love to have New York host a Grand Prix, hopefully by the 2019 season, and it would also be a night race. A night race in New York. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Brighton view of the New York City skyline, um, if not on the same side, if not on Long Island, New York City proper, at least in a part of New Jersey where you can see pretty much all of New York City from across the bay. Race of Flushing Meadows, anyone? Yeah. yeah. Flushing, um, Flushing Meadows isn't that close to New York. I mean, the skyline that you're talking about. Okay, you're, you're, you're the actual New Yorker here. And Flushing Meadows is where they wanted to host, originally host a race in the 80s, but uh, they couldn't get it. And then they said, hey, we'll give you Giant Stadium parking lot. And Bernie was like, nah. And then IndyCar was like, we'll take it. Yeah, we'll take Caesar's Palace instead. Ask Matt about (laughs) that. He loves that race. (sighs) Yeah, geez. An F1 race in New York. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't blame anybody for being excited about this one because, holy crap, it's an F1 race in New York at night. That's a beautiful fucking thing. But we also have to be, be careful because, you know what, we've been here before, folks. Right. On yes. many yes. occasions. Again, again, when I said that Bernie couldn't get Flushing Meadow Park, I'm saying this, Bernie tried this in 1978. So, in other words, you're saying that F1's been trying to get a proper New York Grand Prix for the best part of 40 years on and off now, yeah? Yes, yes, 40 years. Yeah, IndyCar tried oh, to good. do it in the early 90s with a race um, in the middle of Manhattan. But I think a big reason why that race fell apart, not because it was logistically impossible, but because the city complained that it was going to be sponsored by a certain Philip Morris Smokes brand that may or may not have also been sponsoring McLaren and Team Penske at the time. But but again, the the Marlboro Grand Prix did happen in the Giant Stadium parking lot. And for for a brief period, it was the second most popular race on the calendar. The only race that had a higher attendance than the Marlboro Grand Prix was the Indianapolis 500. Well, it could be worse. It could be watching the Jets game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, we also had the saga of the failed race um, in New Jersey a few years back. And, of course... Port Imperial. Yeah, Port Port Imperial Imperial kind of fell through the cracks. So, I think... King, do you agree with me that I'll believe it when I see it? Yes, yes. Like I said, my body has been born ready, but again, <laughs> it's it's been a thing, what, almost 20 years? Like, yeah, like 15 years before I was born, they've been trying to do this thing. <laughs> oh, jeez. Like, I would love to see it. I would, I, like, I, you know me, I love American culture. I would love to see a, a New York Grand Prix at some point. Oh, yeah, we are in Formula E. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, like, you know, I would love to see a Formula One race around there. Um, I really would. But, but yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of, you know, you know, were brushed a bit back by the fact that it would be a Formula One night race in North America. <laughs> Oh my god. All I can say is, um, y'all, those ticket prices, I mean, I'm not going to say that Chase <laughs> oh, is going to be salivating over how much you can charge 
for a race in the New York City area at night in prime time. But, man. <laughs> Again, like, I may have to sacrifice one of King's kidneys to be able to afford to go to this it's gonna race. It's going to be like, like Scrooge I'll... McDuck diving against the pile of gold. Uh, DuckTales, woo yeah. but uh, Well, reading the, the article that, you know, broke this story that they're trying to get the 2019 race, um, it's most likely going to be at Port Imperial, because uh, from, you know, uh, auto, auto, uh, auto motor und Sport, uh, basically they said it's either Weehawken, but they said they're in discussions with the mayor's office about a race in Manhattan, which is highly unlikely. <laughs> Oh Jesus! I, just, I love the optimism where that's concerned. Yeah, like the the equivalent, the the London equivalent would be hosting a Formula One Grand Prix in Westminster. <laughs> Good joke. Yeah, the, one. that the, the New York race in Manhattan and Times Square didn't even last that long. Gran Turismo and Forza Motorsport. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the fact that they had to pull it from Forza Forza Motorsport. Yeah, kind of says it all, really. The race so unlikely they had to pull it from the video game. Yeah, it's like like this is this is even believable for a video game, you guys. We've got to get rid of this. Like we can't have this. Right. So one more thing in, in the news section, really. RJ, take us through Super Formula, my good man. Yes, we had the opening round of the Japanese Super Formula Championship at Suzuka, which also was part of an event that had motorcycle road racing. As well, so you got Woo! cars and bikes in oh. the same weekend. It was a good time and fun for all, and Kazuki Nakajima just laid a damn beat down on the field. He took pole position with a course Beat him down! Yep, 135.9 was his pole time in qualifying. He led wire to wire in a 35-lap race, which had some very interesting strategy because uh, uh, you only have to take one pit stop for fuel and tires, um, but... Fun fact, you only have to change as little as one tire to be good to go to the regulations, which is what a lot of teams did. They only changed the left rear. It helps when you don't have a lot of mechanics on board, and also helps when Yokohama builds a tire that is super freaking hard. Yes. Like, as, as in RJ watching Joseph Newgarden win a race levels of hard? Or? Um, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Like a diamond and an ice storm, basically. Uh, there, <sighs> there's not a lot of fall off on those tires. Um, Kazuki Nakajima taking the victory ahead of Naoki Yamamoto, who has three wins at Suzuka, and they're, they account for all three of his wins. He's in one of the Team Mugen cars. The other one, Pierre Gasly, finished best of the rookies in 10th place. Uh, which is out of the points, but he had some very fun races with Kamui Kobayashi, who moved up nine spots and was still unlucky to finish ninth and out of the points. Um, Gasly had some Brutal. fun races also with Felix Rosenquist, one of the other rookies in the field. Like, they touched wheels going through one and two, and Gasly still held the position, and they were able to drive on like nothing happened. So that was really awesome. Um Yuji Kunamoto, defending series champion, routed off the podium in third, ahead of his teammate Hiroki Ishiura in fourth. Andre Lauderer finishing fifth, Kodai Sukakoshi in sixth, Daisuke Nakajima, that's Kazuki's little brother, finishing in seventh for his father's team. And I believe it was Takeazawa, former GP2 series driver and teammate of Stoffel Van Dorn, who finished eighth to complete the points. 
out of Kabu Kobayashi and Pierre Gasly. The next round is a doubleheader at Okayama Circuit, former home of the F1 Pacific Grand Prix, on the same day as the Indianapolis 500. So if you need a good wake-up uh, to get yourself ready for Monaco and later the Indianapolis 500 and the Coke 600, if you're masochistic enough, go check out Super Formula. Then you got two races on that weekend. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, your, it's your pre-day of classics. Nice, nice, nice indeed. Okay, so just to round off the show real quick, we've got a couple of mailbag questions. It wasn't a particularly um, big mailbag this week. But, uh, yeah, send them in for next time. I guess, I guess you guys clearly didn't like my uh, Wallace and Gromit gif to describe the mailbag. I'm very disappointed in you, Internet. I expected better. Anyway, Len Morrison asks, Would you rather? And no good question ever starts off with, Would you rather? <laughs> um, but here we go. Would you rather be stuck in the lift for a day with Sky F1 team talking nonstop about Max or use Team LH in your F1 tweets from now on? I think there's a no-brainer here. I hope you pick that no-brainer, Dre. I would rather go Team LH. Being stuck in Good the job. With those Good job. guys. Like, Same. I, like, I don't even dislike Lewis Hamilton all that much. So give me the Team LH so I can gently prod him for being a over-pretentious pretty boy rather than being stuck in the lift with Damon Hill and Johnny Herbert waxing lyrical while waxing themselves over Max Verstappen. No thanks. Yeah, no, um, I, I could at least make an alt account to do this. There's nothing that said I couldn't make an alt account to just move all my F1 treats branded with team, branded with team LH hashtag blessed. No, just 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 no. Like it, it, it'll be like RJ's dirty secret, alongside his you know his battle of Joseph Newgarden merch in his back garden. But uh, no, uh, give me the Team LH option. I would not want to be stuck in the lift with with Sky F1 in full narrative discussion. I I just no, no, no. Now that said, stick me in a lift for twenty four hours with the IndyCar and NBCSN team of Lee yes. Townsend Bell and Paul Tracy. That sounds like a much better time. Oh, only if the defense engineer can drop in McDonald's halfway through. <laughs> I'm pretty sure by the end of it, I would have had at least, at least one fist fight with Paul Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> what would you fight over? Oh, oh, God. oh, hang on a minute. You're you're the peak Sebastian Bourdais fan. Of course you'd fight <laughs> Paul Tracy. Of course you would. Like, that actually makes perfect sense. Uh dear. Like, I, I just, I'd just be in the corner just... Um, Talking racing and holding hands with Katie Hargett because it'll be a very fun time indeed. <laughs> what a lovely woman. Um, right, last lap, like last question of the day from Henry Chapman, who asks, "Best ever last lap of a race?" Oh God, it has to be one of the five hundreds. It has to be one of the five hundreds. Ooh boy, Ooh. that's a that's a that's a tricky one. Um, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for this. Nothing is ever prepared on Motorsport yeah. 101. I have two. That's um, and amazingly, that like they're both MotoGP related. Funnily enough, the final lap of Estoril 2006 was one. The first time I watched it as a kid, I was God, I was 14 years old, and I watched it with my dad, and. Like, my dad is, or was, I should say, as hardcore a Valentino Rossi fan as you could possibly get. Now, one day I will make a special docufilm about how special this race is, and it's probably the most important MotoGP race of all time. But to, to, to make a long story extremely short, 
We were on the brink of a miracle as Tony Elias could have become an independent race winner, which is something that is like as rare as a unicorn in MotoGP nowadays. Well, except for maybe last year when Miller and Crutchlow won, but that's besides the point. <laughs> in, in that sense, yeah, Elias was in a dogfight. With, with Valentino Rossi at the front, trying to win the race. Him and Kenny Roberts Jr. Um, as well. And Rossi pulled off this sensational block pass on the on like this uphill corkscrew towards the end of the Estoril circuit. And I thought, okay, okay, Rossi might have got this one. My, my, my dad is celebrating. He's whooping and hollering right now. And he's going, yes, Rossi's won. Rossi's won. And I said... And this is my greatest shoot your shot, maybe ever. I said, while sat down on my couch, flat back in the knowledge that Sete Jim and I was already out of the race, so I had nothing to cheer for. I said, and I quote, watch Tony Elias off the final corner. (laughs) 20 seconds later, Tony Elias beats Valentino Rossi over the line by two thousandths of a second, and I am the smuggest motherfucker on earth. (laughs) I I just sat back and it was just the biggest grin on my face, laughing at my dad, who was on his feet in shock. Like, no! No! It, it, It was great. And little did we know at the time that that second place was what cost Valentino Rossi his 10th championship. Oh, math is fun, you guys. Math is fun. Um, one more I've got to mention as well, if I have to mention it as well, um, because I'm. this is one of my favourite MotoGP races ever as well. Philip Island 2015, and the lap of the gods, I like to call it, from Mark Marquez, where he's crossed the line to start the final lap in third, a second behind race leader Jorge Lorenzo. He passes Iannone through turns one and two, takes half a second out of Jorge Lorenzo in one 20-second stretch of track and then beats him going over the hill to win the race. Like, Marquez openly admitted it was a race that I was going... He said either A, I was going to win, or B, crash trying. (laughs) It was his own words. And, yeah, that was just the most epic finish in arguably in MotoGP. To see Marquez take a second out of Lorenzo in a single lap is something that you may never, ever see again. So for me, I'll probably take those two for, for me. Just don't mention Candela 2011, otherwise I may have to kill you. <sighs> Shut up, RJ. <laughs> Not a word. <laughs> Any suggestions from you guys? Did you guys think of anything? Well, obviously, you have to mention the 2011 Indianapolis 500, where J.R. Hildebrand goes oh. by the last corner and puts oh. it in the wall. Putting, pulling the door wide open for Dan Weldon to win the 500. Ugh. Oh, JR, no! Oh, goodness. I will go with one from the NASCAR circuit. Um, the closest finish ever in one of the craziest final laps, one of the craziest final stretches in the 2003 spring race at Darlington Raceway in South Carolina. Um Kurt Busch and Ricky Craven, um, one of the top young drivers in the sport and kind of a straggling independent who was once touted as the next big thing but kind of fell flat. Um, They are having just this incredible battle for the lead on these beat-up race cars that are just driving like garbage because they're on slick tires on an abrasive track and they're just sliding around all over the place. Journeyman Dave Blaney, Ryan's father, is actually gaining in on them as fast as he possibly can because he's the only one without a beat-up car and with tires that are actually driving well. 
So Blaney, so excuse me, Craven and Bush are just trading for the lead, and then they come out of the final corner, the final lap, and they're bashing wheels, and they just come over the start-finish line, just locking wheels, slamming into each other. Nothing is separating them, and Ricky Craven, by a fraction of a fender, wins the race. It was pretty much a dead heat going to the line, and they may have won it by a few thousandths of a second. It's still the closest finish in series history to that point, and it's still talked about 15 years today. I remember listening to this on the radio uh, in my mom's car, just waiting for it to come out of the store, and I'm listening to the finish like, oh my god, what is going on? This is great. Good shit. Well, I got one one. I got one more which is probably a classic last lap from Formula One history, the the 1959 United States Grand Prix, which was the season finale of that year, where uh, Jack Brabham went in as the points leader with uh, 30 with 31 points. He needed to either he needed to win or come second with Sterling Moss behind him. He needed to finish third and fastest lap with Moss finishing no higher than second, or Tony Brooks had to finish second or lower, and Sterling Moss had to finish third or lower. Heading to the last lap, Jack Brabham was in the lead, but heading onto the back straight at Sebring, where the race was held that year, his his car was beginning to sputter. He was he ran out of fuel on the last lap, and uh, like the first car to pass him was uh, another Cooper Climax, and then uh, the next car to pass him was another Cooper Climax. And one of his teammates. And then here came Tony Brooks behind him. And he's going around the last, you know, Sunset Bend at Sebring. Up the uphill front straight. And his car goes to a complete stop. Tony Brooks finishes ahead of him. But he didn't know where Sterling Moss was. He needed to get across the line before Sterling Moss did. So he gets out the car and he pushes it up the hill. Pushing it as hard as he can. Trying to get his car across the line before Sterling Moss. But little did he know, Sterling Moss had retired from the race. So all he had to do was finish in fourth, and the championship was his, and he got the car across the line before Innes Ireland finished in his Lotus to win the championship. Gosh. Trust you to bring out something from the 50s. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to shout out one that's been mentioned on the show a number of times. The 2014 Bathurst 1000 between Chaz Mostert and Jamie Wincup. By now, oh, most no. of us have seen the story. Jamie Wincup running a comfortable lead in the race, burning for a lot more fuel than he probably should have in the closing stages of the race. Mostert is totally fine on fuel, and Wincup runs out with just a few corners to go, and Paul Dumbrell's face tells the whole story as he is sitting in Wincup's garage with the stare of death like he is looking into the abyss and realizes that his multi-time champion driver, one of the greatest of all time, just blew it. Adam Johnson has only told me this story seventeen times by now. It was like, <laughs> and just just to add one. to the just to add to the Sebring story, the winner of that race was Bruce McLaren, who was the youngest Grand Prix winner at the time, the youngest non Indy five hundred Grand Prix winner at the time at twenty two years old. Uh, the race ended up, uh, uh, the race promoter ended up just barely breaking even after giving out all the prize money because the prize I uh, for I think. It was a $15,000 purse. Bruce got a $6,000. Plus, I think he got uh, he got several acres of 
of land in Sebring, Florida, as a, as a part of his oh, prize. You land, dude. Yes. <laughs> he won real estate. He won real estate. It's free. But real estate. Yeah, it's but. Because of the failure, that was the Sebring Grand Prix. Uh, that was the last U.S. Grand Prix at Sebring, despite being one of the most exciting U.S. Grand Prix ever. Damn. Just Some good happen. stuff there. Some good stuff. And I think, ladies and gentlemen, before we get interrupted, because that's like a tradition on this show now, when I think I'm about to end, we don't actually end. Are we done here? Uh, I think uh, we're done here. Chelsea yeah. won. So, yeah. All two. <laughs> so that's all two. done. That's done. Yeah, I think that's, a, I think that's a perfect time for us to end, actually. So, yeah, um, hope you guys enjoyed the show. Places you can find us one more time are on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, and if you want to back us on Patreon, you can at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. And, of course, if you want to follow us on Twitter personally, we are at harrison101hd. We are at Ryan Eric King with two Ks and at RJ O'Connell. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all for taking us to 35,000 total plays on SoundCloud, you crazy mother truckers. Um, massive thanks to you guys for that as well. But uh, until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. They've been RJ O'Connell and Ryan King. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye. Like I'm not